0: Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. Today I want to do a special message on one of the outstanding psalms, Psalm 95, a key psalm of, about praise, worship, and receiving from God. It's one of, the, of a series of eight psalms called the Royal Psalms, going from 93 to 100. And uh, its importance can be seen that actually two whole chapters of the New Testament, Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, are actually based on it. Uh, It actually focuses on the final verse of entering into God's rest that we'll talk about a bit later. Well, the psalm starts with an explosion of excited praise and thanksgiving, loud shouts, joyful singing. It's quite loud in the first few verses. You know, we need to celebrate our God and celebrate life that he's given us with thanksgiving, with praise. We need to release ourselves and not hold back. We need to give thanks to God and rejoice. He has saved us. He's done so much for us. It is only appropriate that we rejoice with great excitement. And uh, I'm not sure that many of us are really ready for heaven because it's going to to be full of excitement and exuberance and uh, ecstatic uh, praise. Let's see the psalm as it begins in verse one and two. And he says, "Oh come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence, his face, with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. And again, if we're just used to subdued worship services, we won't be ready for heaven, which is constantly filled with rejoicing. where joyful praise isn't just deep in the heart, but it is expressed fully. And we're going to notice as we go through this psalm, it's actually in three stages, based on three calls, three challenges, to the worshiper to come closer. And the the first call is, come, let us sing to the Lord. The the first few verses are all about us coming into his presence with thanksgiving and with praise. Uh, Then there's a second call to the worshiper to come and worship and bow down and that's the next stage and then finally there's a there's a call to the worshiper to hear and receive uh, and enter into rest receive god's pr- word god's promise and those are the three st- out stages in the psalm each time calling the worshiper to draw closer to god well Let's have a look at the first section, which is about praise and thanksgiving. It says, Come before his presence, it says, with thanksgiving. Um, it says, This is the royal protocol. And in fact, we see this again in Psalm 100 nearby, it gives us the protocol to enter into God's presence. Uh, Come before his face, come before his presence with thanksgiving. Before we can get into God's presence and and receive from God, we must come into his presence in the right way. Psalm 100 clarifies, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. That's how we must start. Know that the Lord, he is God. He has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That's what gives us confidence to come into his presence. We know that we we love him. He loves us. We belong to him. And therefore, we can come into his presence rejoicing. Then it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Those are the two key words, thanksgiving and praise, as we start to enter his presence. He clarifies the thanksgiving now. Be thankful to him, and that is for what he's done gratitude for what he's done for us, and thanksgiving by faith of what he will do for us based on his promise. That's called the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And then it says, and bless his name. That's praise, because praise declares the name of the Lord, who God is. Thanksgiving thanks him for what he's done for us and will do for us, whereas praise declares his name. Bless his name. We declare who he is, his character, his attributes. God, you're great, you're holy, you're magnificent. Praise God. Well, then it explains why. For the Lord is good. His mercy, his covenant love endures forever, and his truth endures to all generations. You know, what a privilege that is. We are have been invited to come into the presence of the King of the universe. He's created us, and he's given us life. Uh, he's good, he's gonna keep all his promises to us of eternal life. And the protocol for coming into his presence is to acknowledge who he is, and, and to declare his name, and to acknowledge what he's done for us and will do for us throughout eternity. And that praise and thanksgiving brings us into his manifest presence. It brings us face to face with him. It, it, other things fade out, you see and our focus is on him. We, we come into that awareness of his presence. Let's have a look at Psalm 95 again. It says, O come. This is the first call into his presence. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. You see, Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is, when true worshippers, now we're going to talk about worship in a minute, true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. That's what God is really looking for, is worship, not just praise and thanksgiving. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, God wants us to worship him and that's actually what happens when we're in the immediacy and the intimacy of his presence, when we're face to face with him. Now, our reborn spirit is always in the presence of God, but we also need to bring our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions. We need to bring our soul into his presence, um, you see, so that we are looking to him, that our mind and our thoughts are on him. And so first, before we can worship, which is what happens when we're in his presence, before that, we need to come into his presence. How do we do that? How do we bring our soul into God's presence? By praise and thanksgiving. In spirit and in truth. In other words, we need to release our spirit by our mouth. How do we release our spirit? With our mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. We release our spirit by being willing to sing and shout and and be joyful. That's how we release our spirit. We need to learn to release our spirit in spirit and in truth. What do we do? By declaring the truth of who God is and what he's done. You see, we we come into God's presence saying, thank you, Lord. You're the rock of my salvation. You're my shield. You're my fortress. I thank you that what you did for me on the cross. I thank you you've given me a new life. I thank you you've given me eternal life. I thank you my name's written in heaven. And I praise you that you're a good God. You're a covenant-keeping God. And as we continue to thank and praise God in spirit and in truth... We come to a place where where we are able to enter into the next stage, which is worship, once we are in his presence. Well, before we get there, we look at the reasons. He then gives reasons for our praise, which, of course, is the great power and the supremacy, the majesty of God that he's created us. Here it is. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. See, the praise declares his greatness over all in his hand are the deep places of the earth, the core of the earth. And the heights of the mountains, or the highest mountains, are his also. In other words, he's saying, from the lowest place to the highest place, they are his. And that, by implication, that means everything in between as well. From the microscopic to the cosmic, they are his. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. In other words, he's the creator of all. Well that's, that's how we come into his presence with thanksgiving. Now we come to verse six, where there is an extra call to the worshipper who has already now entered into the presence of God. What happens now? And what happens is worship. See praise and thanksgiving brings you into his presence, but what do you do now that you're in the immediacy of the presence of the king? What is the appropriate r- response now? And this will actually, what happens now, will determine the outcome in your life of of your time of praise and worship. Will there be a long-term change achieved in your heart and your life? Or will there not be any real change that you'll walk away unchanged? Because even though you've come into to the presence of God, you walk out unchanged. What's what's the difference? The difference is whether you then enter into worship. And worship is the submission of our will in the presence of God. You see, at this point, in the awareness of his presence and the awareness of his seeing you inside out, you've got a choice. Either you're going to back away from a safe distance from God, like Israel at Mount Sinai, they were so awed by the majesty of God and the presence of God that they thought, we, are, we dare not. And so they backed away, whereas Moses entered in. You see, you are aware of his majesty, his holiness. You may want to back to a safe distance because you know that when you start hearing his voice, and you will once you start entering his presence, you will start hearing his voice but you may not want that. You may not want to change. You may not want to expose your heart to to his purity, uh, that you, you know that he'll start dealing with you. The awareness of your sin may want to cause you to back off or you don't want your comfort disturbed. Or on the other hand, confident that he loves you, you then draw closer in worship. You open yourself to him. You bow to him in submission. You make yourself willing to hear and receive from him, to hear his voice, to bow to that. Why? Because you know he loves you. It's for your best. It's for your good. One way or the other, you can't stay in neutral. You're either going to abide and enter into worship, or you're going to back away. Your heart's going to go astray onto other things, because you are uncomfortable in the presence of the King, but you can't stay neutral. You've got to enter in, or you're going to pull away. Let's look at this section now, the next call, to the one who's come into the presence of God through praise and thanksgiving. Now it says, "Oh come, another call you see, "Oh come, let us worship and bow down. Now he's calling him closer still in worship, but this time it's not the exuberant praise, this time, It is that submission. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And these all express submission of the will that's appropriate, isn't it, when you're actually standing before the throne of the king. Well, why? For he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And I want you to notice these verses are more intimate and personal. You see, in verse 5, it talked about how his hands hold and sustain and form the earth, that mighty hand of creation. Now it, these are the same hands that protect and guide us, his people, we are the sheep of his hand. And notice it says in these verses, he's not just God but, and the creator of all things, but suddenly now, in other words, in the praise it, it's more distant, but now he's our maker and he's our God he has made us, he's redeemed us, he's made us his own, he cares for us. That's what gives us the confidence in the presence of his majesty not to back away because we know that he loves us, but to draw closer, to open ourselves and to worship and submit to him. You see, it's not the greatness of his power and majesty that makes us draw closer because naturally we would want to withdraw to a safe distance. But it's the knowledge of his redeeming love for us that, that enables us to answer that call, to draw closer through the blood of Jesus. You see, he knows his sheep. He takes care of his sheep. And we hear his voice. And we respond to his voice of love. And this revelation of love is actually what causes us to bow down before him in humble submission and adoration, in worship, face to face with him, trusting him uh, and his will for our life. You see, only now, when we're focused on him alone, we don't let our heart go astray on to other things, then when your will is bowed to him in worship, now you are ready to hear his voice. Now you qualify to hear his voice. Jesus said, if anyone wills to do his will, then he will know whether what he, I am saying is from God or not. In other words, you can only truly recognize the voice of God. You're only in position to hear the voice of God when your will is submitted to him before him. And so as you enter into worship, you are now ready for the next stage, which is to hear his voice, hear him speak to you, and let him do business with you. Let's look at Israel. Israel when they were redeemed from Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, they praised God with joyful singing and dancing, exuberance, and that is right and appropriate, like I said, because we have such a great God. And, and they certainly fulfilled stage one. And, um, but many people and Israel didn't get past stage one. They didn't go any further, except Moses and Joshua and Caleb perhaps. Notice what it says in Psalm 103. It says, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. See, Israel knew his acts and they praised him and they thanked him for the miracles that he did. But Moses knew God himself. Moses knew his ways. You know, when you know someone's ways, you actually know them. Why? Because Moses didn't just praise God he actually spent time in God's presence, face to face with God in worship. And so Israel as a whole though, because they didn't submit their wills to him in worship, they didn't didn't truly bow down to God in worship. As a result, uh, their hearts, um, their wills were not established in God. And, And the Bible talks about how their hearts were still hard they didn't see when you enter into worship and you don't want God to deal with your heart you pull away and your heart stays hard but if you continue in worship and say God deal with me as you want show me your will show me your ways then God can start softening your his heart and speak to you speak wonderful things to you and 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 cleanse you and do things in your life and then you are trusting in him But Israel didn't allow that to happen. And so they were not established in God. So they were easily led astray by circumstances. You know, in the wilderness there, they had setbacks. Difficult things happened there. And from Exodus 16 onwards, we see this happen again and again. In fact, it happened 10 times. That whenever something went wrong, they started rebelling and murmuring against God, blaming God. And they acted as if God had never done any great things for them. The problem is they had a hardened heart because they hadn't entered in to worship. Their hardened hearts were revealed through their responses to trials and setbacks and tests. And this hardened heart would eventually lead them to fail to enter the promised land. The tenth time God said that's that, you will not enter the promised land. So as you start entering into God's presence, you will start hearing God's voice. And at that point, you either pull back to a safe distance, uh, refocusing your heart on other things, or fortified by his love for you, you press in, and you submit yourself to him. And now you're ready to hear his voice. Now, it might be that God shows you something that you need to confess. It may be that you just become aware of where you're out of line with God's will for your life and gently he shows you. It may be that he encourages you, that he gives you a promise for your life, he gives you instructions what to do, but you come into the presence of God saying, God, whatever you want to say to me, I'm open, I bow before that. He may tell you to prune something in your life, to, to let go of that. To he may tell you to do something. Either way it will change your life if you come into his presence with the right attitude. If you do not enter in and your heart stays hard, then when the tests of life come you will not stand, just like Israel didn't in, in Exodus 17. Let me show you a parallel experience with Isaiah chapter 6. He, the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord. He's in the temple, he's praying, and then he suddenly sees the Lord, he's taken into the throne room of heaven. He saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. And so Isaiah's come into God's presence, and he's awed by the power and the holiness and the majesty of God. And of course, it would be easy for him to run away. In fact, he says, woe is me for I'm undone. He's suddenly aware of how unclean he's been in his words and and in his life. Uh, He says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so he's aware now. So what does he do, though? He's willing to let God deal with him because he wants to enter in and worship God. He knows God's. he's got to have to deal with his heart, and God does. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he took with the tongs from the altar, and touched my mouth with it, and this coal had the blood on it, so it cleansed him from his sin. He said, behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And Isaiah now, accepted the dealings of God and he came into God's presence. And now he hears God, God's voice because he's entered into worship and he's let God deal with him. Now he hears God's voice. And this is where he gets the commission for his ministry. And then it says, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And then, I, then Isaiah responds. He hears the voice, he responds to that voice. And he says, here am I, send me. You see, that's how it works. To get God's commission, you come into God's presence. You let him deal with you. And then he starts giving you promises and instructions. Praise God. And back into Psalm 95 now. The connection with worship and hearing his voice is seen now in the next verse. Verse 7 actually goes on and says this. Today, if you will hear his voice... And literally, this is, today, if only you would hear his voice, and this word here means receive his voice, respond to his voice, and this is actually the next thing. Having come into that place of worship, you will start hearing God's voice, and now it's up to you to go to the next level, which is to accept that voice, to hear it, to to believe you receive it, uh, and, and accept that in your heart and commit to that. And that's the next thing. He says, today, if only you will hear his voice. And this means that um, this comes out of our worship. We're correctly positioned to hear his voice. We've made ourselves willing. And now we need to believe, hear, receive his word to us. We, it says today, today, right? When you're in the presence of God, not tomorrow when natural things have crowded in, but today, you're in the presence of God and God's voice comes to you. That's the moment you must respond. That's the moment you must believe you receive the promise. That's the moment you must accept what he's saying to you. Don't put it off. And then, as a result, you will enter into his rest. That's the last part of the psalm. Entering into the rest is the result of all of this. Through worship you hear his voice and you receive his word to you and then you will enter into rest. Having entered his presence and bowed in worship, the next thing is to hear his voice. Today, if only you'd hear his voice. And then the result of that is in verse 11, we shall enter into his rest. But if we don't hear his voice with a surrendered will, we will not enter his rest. Faith, you see, comes by hearing his voice, his word. And it's through faith, through trusting in him, that we enter into rest. What does it mean to enter into rest? See, God entered into rest, it says, and it explains this more in Hebrews 3 and 4. But having completed all his works of creation, on the seventh day he entered into rest. His rest was that seventh day. The place where everything is accomplished, everything is done. In the same way when Jesus accomplished our salvation on the cross, he rose from the dead and he sat down, he entered into rest, having completed all his work. And now he invites us by faith to enter into his rest. He's achieved that rest, so that rest is a place in God, a place in Christ where everything is already done. We don't have to do anything. We just have to, by faith, enter into that rest that it is all done by accepting His Word into our heart. And then we live out from that place of rest, you see? Praise God. And so he says that in Hebrews that we've become partakers of Christ. It says, he, we who have believed do enter that rest it says again that there remains a rest for the people of God. He who has entered into rest has ceased from his works as God has from his. So that's what God wants us to do. Come in, receive his promise to us, receive his word, trust it and enter into rest. And Once we've received that voice from heaven, we come out and then we live our life out of, from that place of rest, knowing that God has already given it to us. And now we live that out in our life. Now, in the psalm, this is taught in a negative way, using Israel as a negative example. Israel didn't bow their wills to him. They, their hearts stayed hardened, and so they could not enter into rest. And the warning is, don't be like them. They didn't enter into worship, and they ended up in the wilderness. The reason was the heart problem. They didn't spend enough time in God's presence to be softened and to receive His promise, so they couldn't enter. Let's read it quickly. He says, "'Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness.'" Exodus 17, "'When your fathers tested me and they tried me, though they saw my work, for forty years I was grieved with that generation and said, "'It is a people who go astray in their hearts.'" after other things, after idols, you see. They do not know my ways. It's a heart problem. They didn't spend time with God, knowing him and his ways of grace, and so they went their own way. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They will not enter the fulfillment of God's promises for them. See, their outward life was reflected reflected their inward life. Had they entered into rest in their heart by faith in God's promise, they would have lived out from that reality and entered into the fulfillment, the promised land. But because they went astray in their hearts, pursuing other things rather than the presence of God, to know him and his ways, their lives went astray, wandering 40 years, going nowhere in particular. Why? Because they rejected the voice of God for their lives. Their lives lost purpose and direction, and they failed to enter into what God had for them. The key was in stage two. To, to worship God, to be in that position to hear and receive his voice for them, and then that becomes the foundation for the rest of their life. We live out from that place of rest. We enter into through worship and hearing his wor- word. You see, that's why it's so important. Don't miss the times of praise and worship in your church, uh, th- because you need that but to be prepared to receive the word of God and to enter into rest. I recommend Psalm 95 to you, as a pattern for your worship. I want to invite you to join us for the UK Unite England Conference, organized by my good friend Pete Samra. I'll be speaking at it with other speakers all day Saturday, the 6th of October. Uh, It's to unite Christians and pastors and leaders for the purpose of evangelizing our nation. For more details, contact us. The details are on the screen.